Welcome to the Radio Bible Course. We're studying the authority of the Bible. Is the Bible dependable? Is it accurate? Can you trust the New Testament writers? What about the writers who refer to Isaiah in the Old Testament? Scholars today say there was not a man named Isaiah. There were several writers of the book of Isaiah. They call them 1st Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, and some say there are even three or maybe four Isaiahs. And all of their writings were compiled in a book and the Jews put the title Isaiah on it. Well, if that be the case, then the New Testament writers didn't have very good understanding. Why didn't they know that there was more than one Isaiah? In yesterday's program, we talked about John chapter 12, where John quotes from both the first part of Isaiah and the second part of Isaiah and refers to it simply as Isaiah having said it. And then he used the pronoun he, not they, in referring to those writings. Now, what did Paul believe about Isaiah? Perhaps you say, well, John was just a poor, uneducated man, but Paul was a brilliant man. He was a scholar. This was a doctor of laws. He knew Judaism's laws in the Old Testament better than any man alive. What did he think about Isaiah? Well, in Romans chapter 9, verse 27, he quotes from Isaiah 10. Listen to it. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. And in verse 29, two verses later, he writes, It is just as Isaiah said previously, Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Well, both of these quotations are from the early part of the book of Isaiah, chapter 10 and chapter 1, respectively, which the scholars say was written by first Isaiah. But then we come to chapter 10 of the book of Romans, and Paul quotes from the latter part of Isaiah, which scholars say was written by a second writer. And here is what Paul writes, beginning with verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? That's quoted from Isaiah 53. And now in Romans chapter 10, verse 20, he writes, And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. And here he quotes from Isaiah 65. What can we conclude that Paul believed about Isaiah? Well, he quotes from both sections of Isaiah, which scholars say was written by at least two people. And Paul says there was one person who wrote them, one Isaiah who wrote all of that book. Now, if a scholar believed that John and Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that scholar would accept their testimonies concerning Isaiah. And they would be satisfied that God used one man, 
to write all of the book of Isaiah. That's the historic evidence, and it is much stronger than literary analysis. Can you have confidence in so-called scholars who take documents written 2,700 years ago when they know very little about the literature of those days and make an analysis of it and conclude that it wasn't written by one man when the book declares that it was written by one man, it had one author, and yet they say it was written by many men. Are there other strong arguments for the fact that one man named Isaiah wrote the book? There is indeed. If you have an NIV study Bible, I recommend you to the opening page that precedes the book of Isaiah. There's a good discussion of this subject there. Let me quote in part. It says, Many scholars today challenge the claim that Isaiah wrote the entire book that bears his name. Yet his is the only name attached to it. You'll find that in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 13. The strongest argument for the unity of Isaiah is the expression, quote, The Holy One of Israel. Unquote. It's a title for God that occurs 12 times in chapters 1 through 39 and 14 times in chapters 40 to 66. In other words, we have here 26 uses of this expression, the Holy One of Israel, almost equally in both parts of Isaiah. And how many times does that expression occur outside of Isaiah in the Old Testament? Only six times. That is a strong argument for the unity of Isaiah and the authorship by one man. The NIV Study Bible editors also said this, Altogether, there are at least 25 Hebrew words or forms found in Isaiah that occur in no other prophetic writing. Now that is significant, and our modern scholars haven't told us those facts. Either the scholars are dishonest, or they don't know how to analyze literature. Anyone doing the simplest analysis would look at the vocabulary and they would conclude that here are the some 25 Hebrew words that appear no place else in the Bible, but they do appear in the first part of Isaiah and also in the latter part of Isaiah. And anyone with common sense would conclude that a person using this vocabulary must be one and the same person, and he must have written the entire book of Isaiah. If you don't have a new international version, the one called the Study Bible, the NIV Study Bible, I urge you to get one. This will help you with many of the problems in the Bible. And the editors have done a very credible job to help us who need these kind of facts. Many scholars have contributed to the notes in this NIV Study Bible, and you'll find them very helpful. I often when struggling with the problem in the text, first go to the NIV Study Bible to see what the scholars have said about it. And frequently, 
I get a very brief but clear answer from them. You'll find it helpful. Now, the Radio Bible Course doesn't sell Bibles, but I refer you to your Christian bookstore. Ask for the NIV Study Bible. It's a good one. Well, we want to leave the subject of Isaiah and now go to another evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. It's fulfilled prophecy. Many of the prophecies of the Bible are incredible. Those which have already been fulfilled are a powerful testimony for the inspiration and the authority of the Bible. How much of the Bible was predictive in prophecy? Well, predictive prophecy in ancient times comprised about one-fifth of God's revelation. That's referring to the Old Testament, of course. It dealt with Israel's bondage, the future of Jacob's sons, Israel in the land of promise, the captivity of Israel, judgments on the nations surrounding Palestine, the return from the captivity and the coming of John the Baptist by Malachi, they also include predictions of coming world empires with astounding accuracy. Of far greater significance to us, however, are those prophecies which specified a coming Messiah, a Savior. These touch on his birth, his offices, his ministry, but also on his betrayal, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. A good portion of the Old Testament also deals with that future time. It's prophetic, it's predictive, that time when Jesus will return to the earth and will rule over Israel. Isaiah chapter 11 is one of those, and this is still future. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious.
Isaiah chapter 11 is about the coming millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, the one who has promised the kingdom by the angel Gabriel. He promised it to the Virgin Mary when he said the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message that John came, announcing the king and preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's much about that promised kingdom in the Old Testament. God promised it to David 1,000 years before Jesus was born. He said he would raise up one of his sons after him to rule on his throne and that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. Now, that's all predictive, of course, but it's a sample of how much predictive prophecy we have in the Old Testament. Now, we're going to get into fulfilled prophecy next week, and I hope you'll join me here on the Radio Bible Course as we look at the scores of prophecies that have been fulfilled And why should we even look at them? Because they bear the strongest testimony for the inspiration of the scriptures. And now this question, can you explain grace? We have a free 30-page booklet entitled Grace. It summarizes God's administration over the world and the church today. We're living in the age of grace and Christians need to understand what this means. You can get your free copy of our Grace Booklet by writing to the Radio Bible Course. Until next week, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.